So what kind of properties do you guys lend on? What makes you stand out amongst other lenders? What regions are you focused on? What's the weirdest loan you have to process? What are you seeing in the market? What are your preferred loan parameters? Tell us about your underwriting process. How did you get into the lending space? This is Bix, your peek into the lender landscape, where we get into the minds of leading commercial real estate lenders to understand their perspective of the market, what they lend on, and how to get deals done. I'm Kimberly Zarbler and your host, and this is my co-host, my older and wiser brother, Yako Zar. Wait, wait, were you being sarcastic? Today we're here with Adam Lipkin. Adam Lipkin is an executive director with Counterpoint Sustainable Real Estate, a Hannon Armstrong partner. Hannon is the first clean energy REIT in the country and has over 6 million assets under management, along with an annual closed transaction volume exceeding a billion dollars. Counterpoint is a leading national direct capital provider of commercial pace, and Adam is one of the most active originators nationally, with nearly 50 million closed in the last 12 months and another 50 million closing within the next 90 days. A South Florida native, Adam has worked in the commercial real estate finance industry since 2002, mostly as a capital advisor. He got his start conducting due diligence, analysis, and valuation work with Ernst & Young in the New York-based real estate advisory group, and then at LNR Property based in Miami Beach. Adam entered the brokerage world as a capital advisor in the Miami office of HFF. He was part of the top team there that set firm records nationally. Together with a team from HFF, Adam went on to help start Olympian Capital Group. Adam graduated from the University of Florida with a master's degree in accounting. He is a former CPA. He lives with his wife and one-year-old baby in Surfside, Florida. Some recent noteworthy deals include a $12 million C-Pace financing on a $100 million plus trendy hotel, the Tommy, in the neighborhood of West Hollywood, a $21 million Pace financing in Chicago for a $118 million major hotel renovation project, the Reserve, a high-end Marriott brand, and a $14.5 million Pace financing for a $55 million ground-up construction. Adam, thank you so much for joining us today on Bips. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Adam, you're known as the C-Pace guy. Can you give us a rundown of what this space is about? What does Pace financing even mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's so funny. I've been doing this type of niche construction financing called C-Pace. So C-Pace stands for Commercial Property Assessed Clean Energy, a little bit what that is. But I mean, I'm going on almost three years in this business and I'm still talking to people that still have not heard at all about this. So it's very interesting to talk about what it's like to be in a uh, emerging industry that's really growing, but also to have lots of folks in the industry not be familiar that you either say I'm just early still or <laughs> I'm way, way early. So it's always interesting. But um, yeah, just by way of background, you already shared, I've been in commercial real estate financing almost all my career other than you know getting out of the world of real estate during the downturn and had a little entrepreneurial run in the world of education, running all programs in South Florida for a number of years. And you know, I found that what was interesting about real estate finance, and I always loved about it, is creative financing and being able to facilitate merging together different types of capital, senior loans, mes loans, prep equity, in a way where you could do just phenomenal things that most people don't even realize, you know, buying properties with usually two, five percent down, you know, crazy low amount of money just by knowing how to get access to capital. So in that regard, I had a longtime lender friend of mine introduce me to CPACE back in 2017. And you know, it's funny, I had a bunch of colleagues at the time and they were just like, ah, what is this hokey green program? Like, they're like, you know, I don't know, what's this thing? And I saw that this could be absolutely amazing and replace equity or MES financing. And I said, tell me more. And so, you know, kind of the high level, what CPACE is, 
again, going back to that acronym, Commercial Property Assessed Clean Energy, it's using assessment financing, which is where the repayment shows up as an add-on to your tax bill, which is kind of something that's been done for a long time for a lot of community benefits in, in major real estate projects, usually funding things like sidewalks and streetlights and of that sort. So it's that same assessment structure, but in this case, it's going to finance a variety of the hard costs and soft costs that go into any new real estate development or any add-on value work that you would be putting into an existing project. And it's work that would be impacting your energy bill. So these are things like your lighting, your HVAC system, insulation, and building envelope. And then even in some states, they include things that would help you be stronger and more resilient against environmental risks. So in Florida, those could include things like hurricane impact windows and doors to be stronger against hurricanes. And in California, it could be things that would make your building stronger and foundational level seismic work to be stronger against possible earthquakes. So you have all these encompassing things, but at a high level, you know, you're talking about close to 20 to 25% of your combined hard and soft costs on a development project. So it's a pretty meaningful number. And so what we do is, you know, we work in states where PACE is active. You basically have a state enable this legislation. And then because it's related to the tax bill, you have to have a local city or county opt into their state program. So that's usually one of the first things we do is make sure that a, a location is on board. And essentially, if it is, you know, we work with developers and property owners to finance their projects using a potentially lower cost form of capital that's non-recourse and fixed rate. Thanks for that background. It. I've heard a bit about this program. Just for clarity, financing takes the first position on the capital stack? So because it's an assessment, it shows up at the tax priority position. So you have this priority position as a passive tax is how it works. And you know what I find that comes with that is a range of responses from lenders ranging from you're priming me <laughs> to, oh, this is a passive tax that we could pay off uh, easily and early with flexible prepayment. Let's just underwrite a combined leverage that works for us. And everything in between, you know, right? It's no different that some lenders that say, right. oh, we just don't do MES or other lenders Wait, do they say, take this as, we'll allow MES do they look, on some comfortable level. So, Yeah, sure. So when they uh, look at the this financing from a lender who's going to take, you know, the rest of the capital stack, let's say 60% or 70%, are they seeing this as an additional tranche? Will they lend a little bit higher on the capital stack than they normally would and just sort of ignore this? So I'll answer that in the form that you really have to have the right lender. And so it's no different than some lenders that might say, we just don't do hotels or we just don't do meds. But the lenders that I would say are friendly to pace, they'll look at a combined leverage. So let's go back to that example you gave. A lender might say, you know, they'll do 60% on a $50 million apartment development, essentially 30 million. And let's say on that same deal, I could get about 20% of pace. So let's call it about 10. So what a lender might do is they might say, okay, the 10 plus 30 is getting me to 40 combined leverage. Is that okay on a $50 million multifamily? Now, some might say that's you know 80% loan to cost. And you know maybe if they right. pencil it out, it's like a 70% combined loan to value. That might be doable. And so I'm usually doing that with a debt fund that's stepping up leverage. But you know, PACE is definitely not equity. And so, you know, anybody that pretends that it is, is not accurate, but it's also not debt because it doesn't have any rights of a lender. It's a, a passive tax assessment. And so what I find lenders doing is they're looking at it as a combined basis comfort level. And that's the analysis kind of high level. What I just shared is they'll look at a combined loan to cost that they're comfortable with and a combined loan to value based on the asset type. So you'll see probably a higher number for Got multifamily. It. Than you would another asset class. In some scenarios, this may 
make it easier to increase the overall debt portion of the capital stack. In some cases, lenders just might ignore it and say, we'll still only go to a max total leverage of 70% or whatever it is. And I assume some lenders just aren't comfortable with it at all, maybe. That's actually a great way to bucket it. That's exactly what you have happen. You have one bucket that's completely cool with the structure and they just look at basis level combined. You have another bucket that's like, look, our last dollar is 60% leverage. And if you bring in pace, it's just going to replace our dollars. And then some just are like, we won't allow even a dollar. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of have those three buckets right now. I know you've been in the real estate financing world for a while. I mean, I think what, what had me intrigued by this is I had seen other products play out with a typical mm-hmm. adoption cycle, like CMBS, for example. And you have this play out in a lot of areas of life. You have mm-hmm. you know, first movers, early movers, and then it becomes more normalized. And I said that every borrower wants this for the simple reason that it's lower cost capital. So you could just see that competitive pressure that's going to continue to play out as stronger borrowers with stronger projects ask for this. Lenders have to step up, otherwise lose right. deals. So I kind of saw that early on. And frankly, it just played out you know, over these last few years. But you are seeing that you know, the debt funds have now started to allow it at much more aggressive levels. And you know, the banks are starting to allow it. You know, we just did a bank deal where it was their first deal with Pace, and they went from 65% loan to cost to 73% with the Pace. You know, really, it was a function of also banks are usually cheaper money than Pace. You know, Pace is priced somewhere in the sub six level. It's called it mid fives. Banks are usually still in the three four level, and so that's the phenomenon with a bank is you'll probably max out the bank, get the sliver of Pace above it to whatever the comfort level is. Whereas a debt fund, which is probably closer to like, let's call it 8% and up level for construction, the exercise would be for an advisor to really get a max amount of pace and then see where that debt fund will a max out combined yeah, leverage. That's what I typically see Very play cool. out. And one more point before we get to higher level, just on the specifics of the program. If I understand correctly, it's also transferable through acquisitions, et cetera. Is that correct? It's fully transferable and it's typically a long-term fixed rate instrument. So it's usually financed over about a 20, 25 year period. But I think what's good to note is it's more interesting to developers that it's fully prepayable under usually a step-down structure based on the pace provider and capital source that you're working with. So I'm usually doing this with developers that are like, look, I don't want to get stuck with this thing for 20, 25 years. Nice that it's assumable, but I want to make sure that if I want to exit in year three, this isn't going to be like a crazy CMBS defeasance process, which it's not. And so, you know, I think we're one of the stronger groups that has like a very minimal prepayment in that early time period that most people like. So it is good to be aware of that as well as you're usually not stuck with pace. Some providers do more flexible exits early. That is important for development. Very cool. Awesome. So Adam, as you of course know, we're in a little bit of a crazy time right now. So I'd love to understand how has COVID affected your business? So it's really interesting. I mean, I was in this in the last cycle and got beyond crushed. I mean, we were a very active team, you know, back in the last cycle, 2005, six, seven, heavily niched into condo development financing in South Florida. Okay. You could see how this played out, right? You know, kind of fell off a cliff and then apartment financing to convert to condo. So I really saw firsthand you know, wow, like some pockets of capital could be hot, you know, one moment, then they could just completely be not another moment. What's interesting, what's played out with Pace is it's gotten more attention, more limelight attention for the simple fact that there's a lot of guys that had been active up until the crisis that are now on the sidelines, or they've gotten much more conservative with their financing terms. And so you just see this playing out where a lot of people are needing to get creative and resourceful, and they maybe had a buzz on Pace, and maybe they thought, I don't know if this is a fit. I got a good go-to bank plus maybe a preferred equity group to get me 
uh, higher leverage, which is usually what people want with Pace. They usually are looking for a high leverage, non-recourse solution. And so there was a really inexpensive capital up until the crisis for a variety of projects, you know, a variety of asset classes. And now, I mean, hotel financing is very, very challenging mm-hmm. to get done, extremely, right? I mean, it's yeah, really, really tough, especially to get high leverage. You know, it's unimaginable how tough it is right now. You guys, I'm sure, have seen that. And even multifamily is really tough to get that high leverage at that very low blended rate. Now, you would have these senior lenders that were getting up to 60 or 65% leverage with non-recourse. And then there's all these MES players that would come in up to 80 or even 85 and you would talk about getting to like a blended rate up to this very high mm-hmm. leverage financing that would be in the yeah. fives. Well, you can't do that today. And so what's happened is pace has now become very interesting. And folks are saying, how could that work for us? And how it could work is you can marry it up with maybe a non-bank that still has raised capital and they weren't relying on like a CLO or some kind of A note structure and they, and they have that raised money. And they would love to do multifamily that they probably wouldn't have been able to look at a few months ago because it would have been too expensive. So we've seen an enormous pickup in business. And I find that that's really a sweet spot, you know, just in terms of asset classes, multifamily construction, you know, a lot of folks that had projects ready to go. And then this hit, you know, in March, really, and either an investor bailed or a lender bailed, you know, or somebody changed terms. And now they're, you know, kind of looking at what could I do? And so it's been really interesting. And, you know, I certainly do a lot of promoting of the program. So I've, I've been pretty flooded with business and there's still a lot that you can't get done. I mean, if somebody comes to me with a hotel, usually my answer is I'm happy to quote the pay. I mean, we could do the pace, which is fine. It's good. There's some pace groups that still can't do that. But I usually make sure to address, let's talk about senior lenders and how you're putting together the rest of the capital stack. So, you know, definitely an interesting time. I think it's only bode well for pace in terms yeah. of attention. Um, and we'll see where it goes. Hopefully on the upwards. So. Adam, you got very into the technicals with us, but can you also step out a little bit and tell us a little bit about CounterPoint Sustainable Real Estate specifically? Yeah, and it's important to know that because some people, you know, they hear Pace mm-hmm. and they think it's, you know, just one program. It's a platform. And just like there's lots of lenders, there's lenders that do uh, Pace, you know, there's different capital providers. And so I got lucky that I found out about Pace through the group that I'm with. And it was just nice that you know, my longtime relationship that I had done a ton of business with when I was at uh, HFF and he was running a GMAX office in New York City, probably did close to a half a billion dollars together during that crazy last Mm -hmm. cycle, was the one that introduced me to Pace. And so when I started to study it, I started to study, how does this group differentiate? And so CounterPoint is uh, essentially a joint venture between CounterPoint Energy Solutions, which are, you know, two principals, very, very seasoned real estate guys, one by the name of Eric Alini, Eric was the head trader at Merrill in the 90s, ran the entire CMBS program before he ran their $20 billion principal finance group before the recession hit. So very, very smart guy, far smarter than me. And I was very intrigued by that when I found out about Pace. And then my colleague that I had known about this had been running debt shops for about 20 years. And so I just was really impressed with the sophistication in the capital markets, as well as the structured finance side. So that's one half of the team. The other half is a major mm-hmm. public REIT by the name of Hannon Armstrong. It's been in business for 30 years, 6 billion assets under management, already have been putting out a billion a year in, in other types of products related to energy, solar, wind. And they had already been buying the paper for Pace for a number of years. And so I said, you know, wow, this is a balance sheet program set up with a very, very strong REIT that's all in on energy and real estate coming together. 
So I just love that. And, and I started to see that, you know, in terms of the players in the market, there was more of a background of energy consultancy and more policy writing. And I said, really, what you need is a structured finance group that knows how to mix this in with senior lenders and the rest of the capital stack. And it's really proven to be smart. I think that we're probably the most resourceful in terms of figuring out how to get deals done. And a very, very strong team and uh, very, very happy with that choice. So Awesome. Adam, it's obvious that you've been in the space for a very long time. You've seen a couple of different cycles. You know the intricacies of commercial real estate and commercial real estate finance. Where do you see the next phase, both in terms of long-term effects of COVID and the market in general? What are you seeing? What do you think is going to happen? So I'm a big believer this isn't a long-term permanent crisis. I don't think anybody thinks we're going to be dealing with this in 10 years from now, like in 2030. I don't even think people really feel like this is going to 2025. I think there's a general consensus that on the health side, we're looking at maybe, you know, 18, 24 months to 36 months. You know, there's talks, is there another wave coming? There's this interim short-term period where there's this unknown still that people are really trying to figure out how does that play out? But I think there's a general feeling that, you know, what do they say? Like once there's a vaccine or once there's a general setting and environment where people are made to feel safe again, there's going to be a complete return to socializing and doing business as usual. So question is, is how long does it take to get back there? I don't think this is permanently changing how we live as human beings. And I also think there's been a lot of innovation. You know, just think about so many things that we're now just incorporating into our lives from ordering almost everything to our homes, <laughs> which some people, it was the first time they've ordered certain things to home and they said, this isn't so bad, uh, to virtual calls, you know, with Zoom and the sort to be able to start having meetings remotely. So I think we're going to start to incorporate more into our lifestyles. I do think that there's certain asset classes that come back sooner than mm-hmm. others. Like multifamily, I think, comes back the fastest. There's still multifamily that right now is leasing up with just virtual leasing tours. I mean, I'm talking to developers that are basically having their leasing agents take an iPhone and just walk the property and people are leasing it. You know, And some people might say, oh, that's crazy, but we buy a lot of other things of online and why wouldn't we lease an apartment? You know, So I think that you'll see apartments are going to be pretty resilient as they always tend to be. People need places to live. I think industrial for the right tenant is still doing great. And then from there is where there's the challenges. You know, what does office look like? Uh, how are people going to start being in that space? You know, is there going to be more space needed? Well, how does that work with rents? You know, people don't want to pay more rent, you know, for having more space needs. And so are there going to be more people working remotely? And then I think as that plays out with retail, you know, that's obviously major top of mind. And then I think the challenging one, most challenging is hotels. But even hotels, I don't think people see that a hotel is just done for the next five years, I think it's over the next two to three years really is the time period. And so, you know, I I think that's what we're looking at, a short to midterm period. How do you survive during this interim period and be beyond resilient, which is what it's taking in this crisis? And how do you innovate and then give yourself enough breathing room so that as there is this return back to some kind of business and operations and people moving around again, you'll be able to then start ramping up again. I think that's where there's a, you know, I, I believe in that. And I, I've been speaking to enough people where there's generally that optimistic feeling that at some point we do return and just how quickly could we get there? So that's long winded, but that's, that's awesome. kind of market. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then on the pace side, just to jump into that on the pace side, this is an industry that is growing exponentially. I mean, this is beyond a cycle right now. This is an industry that was in its infancy. When I was involved, I got involved, even though it was early in 2017, people were still doing it for four or five years before. So they were really early. But the whole industry, as for doing construction with Pace, 
barely was even doing 50 million, five zero, 50 million dollars a year as an industry. And last year it's done over 500 million and it's on track to do a billion this year. So you'll see that there's a lot of projections that say by 2025, it'll be doing tens of billions a year. There's major markets. I mean, New York City is the main one that is supposed to, I mean, it was frankly supposed to come online this year with pace. It's probably going to get pushed to, I don't know, maybe second quarter, maybe earlier. I mean, who knows? Obviously everything, what's happened in the world slowed things down, certainly in the city. But I mean, when you think about what an amount of construction that happens in the city alone, when now you're talking about 20 to 25% of your construction costs could qualify for this. I mean, that's a major growth. We just had Chicago come on board. Actually, that one deal you mentioned in the beginning was a deal that I had closed on. It was about a $22 million pace on a 110 plus million dollar major hotel redevelopment that launched the PACE program in Chicago. And so it's still relatively new. And so I think that industry is just, we're still very early, but that's going to be doing way more than it is today. And it's already been growing. So I'm very optimistic. I mean, frankly, that's why I've been branding myself so much as <laughs> Love the C-Pace guy. And I think it'll be a smart thing. Yeah. You know, it's attention, right? Attention is the currency. So I think it's important to you know, have a brand for some niche area. Love and it. I, um, I love I'm the name and I think so. that's how people know you. I see it all over LinkedIn. So you're definitely my C-Pace guy, Adam. Definitely my <laughs> C-Pace guy. You see, Yako, and I love that. Think about what you just said. I'm your C-Pace guy. You see me all the time. And if it ever comes up even as something that you hear in a deal, you're probably going to pick up the Without phone and a send question. me a message on LinkedIn. Exactly. Exactly. Somebody wants to use C-Pace. Tell me about it. <laughs> so, so, so I'm a big believer in that. And I think that, look, I love what you guys are doing with this podcast. I think it was desperately needed to bring more transparency to the capital markets. It's like, nobody knows what's out there. So for you to be bringing on different profiles of capital is just smart. I mean, there was a need for it. So I love that you guys are doing it. It's a great vibe. It's a cool Thank show. I've been, I've been into it. So um, I like Thanks that you're doing this to get your, uh, your name out there as well. So I'd love to ask sure. a little bit about how has quarantine been for you? I know you have a new baby girl. Have you started anything new? Have you learned anything interesting? So you know, I'm sure a lot of people say this, you know, we're kind of lucky, I think, in this real estate financing world that, you know, with a phone and a computer, it's fairly smooth to do things remotely. I've definitely found that that's been the case. It's good to be able to have that ability. There's certainly plenty of professions out there where you just can't. But I'd say that's been relatively smooth. Everybody's had to adjust to a schedule and do that whole balancing of being at home and trying to carve out your own work time and carve out your time with family. I'm really big on routine. I'm actually a believer that there's enormous freedom in having a disciplined routine. So I'm like a morning routine guy that's up at 4.30 in the morning. I'm doing my meditation. I'm doing my breath work and all this stuff. So by the time I'm... (laughs) No, but I think he's great. And I've been into transcendental meditation since I was in college. So I love that he's getting that out there because I think it's just basically mentally exercising your mind and you know, think about all the stress that we deal with in a day and just to have a practice to be able to just decompartmentalize, de-stress. I think it's huge. And I think especially now everyone's getting how important mental health is. And it doesn't just happen. It takes working out in a way similar to working out physically. I think meditation has that power to really help people keep a strong mindset, stay calm in the face of challenges. I'm a huge fan of it. And, uh, and then the other one I'll just plug right here that I got really into beginning of this year is the style of deep breathing by a guy named Wim Hof. And Wim Hof has been around for 30 years and he's really gotten out there big in the world just because of a lot of mm-hmm. influencers that have done his programs. But he talks a lot about a deep style of breathing as well as cold therapy. So 
you know, I know this is something you're to cringe Ooh, when you wow. hear about it, but taking cold showers, some people, you how, know, how do like you do that dreaded, in Florida? I, I, have, never thought I have a I friend who does cold showers every cold morning. Shower. He was very sad when he went to Florida because the water didn't get cold enough. Right. It's so funny to say, I, I actually wonder if I was in New York, if I would be like, wow, this is really you cold. You think it's a cold but, shower, but I mean, for us, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, that's yeah, a that's shower. I mean, listen, I'm not going to fight that battle. I actually think that it's legitimately much colder in New York. This yeah. is just my tiptoeing into it, having a quasi cold shower in Miami. But, uh, <laughs> you know, the dial's on cold. There's no hot. So, you know, that's what I could do for now. But yes, yeah, so I think that having that morning routine is even more important now than ever. It gives you an ability to start the day at a level 10 and really be able to have a very strong, I don't know how I picture it, like almost like a shield. Like, you know, you're just very strong. You know, anything that comes your way, you just feel in a great mindset, great headspace. So I'm big into that. And then, you know, what I've been making it a point to do is just getting out of my comfort zone, talking to people every day, people that are in my niche area outside of it, comparing ideas and insights, and I think that out of these crisis moments in time, that's when big opportunities happen. And that's just always been the case. And so if you could take that mindset that there are enormous hidden opportunities in crisis and know that every conversation has that potential to bring that out of it, I just think that's a far better mindset. And I think it's just as likely as talking to people and saying, oh my God, the world sucks and nothing's going on. It's like, you know, you could just as easily say, what is happening? And oh, we're doing this. And what are you doing? And so I'm a big believer in bringing that positivity. You know, it's like people always say it's like kind of hokey and this, it, but I think, you know, what's the alternative? Be negative? <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, like why not just kind of think about what you could do? And it's not being like bury your head in the sand, like, oh, the world's beautiful and it's falling apart. It's there's a certain amount of things that you could do no matter what. You could always choose your attitude and you could choose to respond in a way where you could say, what could I do in spite of what is happening? So I'm, I'm a big believer in that. And I, I think love this that. is the opportunity for a lot of us so to do that. It's so important for us to take this quieter time and just be able to focus on ourselves in positive ways. I think if you didn't really allow like this time being at home to become some sort of better version of yourself, then you're missing out. So I love the positive vibe that you're giving out and your videos on LinkedIn are also very inspiring. So if you haven't checked it out, listeners, you should definitely go on Adam's LinkedIn and watch a few of them. Yeah. Actually, Kim, and I appreciate you saying that. Let me just say one thing in that regard, because I was very hesitant to do that on LinkedIn. You know, I had that mindset, like a lot of people do that, oh, you know, LinkedIn's for business. And you know, you got, you can't talk about these things on LinkedIn and this is for Facebook or Instagram. And meanwhile, I love this and it has to be something that's true to you and your passion. I mean, I'm a guy that's been doing Tony Robbins since I was 18, you know I mean? So I love this stuff. I mean, it would be inauthentic if I'm talking about it and I have no interest in it, but I love it. But I was stopped by it because I thought, ah, is that weird to do it there? And I think during this crisis and I knew better, like I know that enough people, there's enough people that say, just share you openly. And I remember it was during this crisis, it was probably about maybe a month and a half or so, two months ago, where I just said, you know, come on, you know, just do it. And, and I did. And it's been really, it's just been fulfilling personally, although it has actually been good as well for just connecting, but it's just been enjoyable. So I, you know, I, I think that's a great thing too for people to do is be willing to give up preconceived notions about, oh, you can only do it this way, or you can't do it this way. I mean, I still have people telling me, oh, there's no business you could do on LinkedIn. It's like, mm -hmm. really? I'm, I've done quite a bit. <laughs> so I don't know. I think that's a big thing too to make note of is that be open to exploring new ways of I living. That, and Thank you so much for inspiring us and our listeners. We loved having you on the show. We love learning about what you do. 
Can you give our listeners the best way to reach you? Well, we, we said it right there, right? LinkedIn. So I got a really easy website that I have. You get directed oh. right there. It's adamlinkedin.com. So it's just adamlinkedinnospaces.com. Takes you right there. Keep it simple. And I post a lot of content. I mean, I talk about a lot of stuff, but I do cover C-Pace as well. I do have like a video library that answers a lot of frequently asked questions. And, uh, you know, there's just a lot of interesting things happening. So anybody that's in that world of doing real estate and they're doing especially construction financing, by all means, it's definitely something that should be on your radar at the very least. It's not like a panacea and everything to everyone. There's probably a niche. I think right now the niche is high leverage, non-recourse financing for multifamily. And then we didn't get into this too much, but just to note, a lot of people are looking at how do you see pace for rescue capital? And there's some cool things you could do where you could use it retroactively and uh, have it as a reserve to cover shortfalls in operations and interest over a two to three year period. So that's going to be a huge thing, frankly, over the next 12 to 24 months. I just wanted to make note of that. And anybody that wants to hear more about it, I'm happy to share about it. And, And guys as well, offline, we should discuss it. And yeah, a real pleasure being on the show. I've been listening to it, like I said, and I really love that you're putting this out there. And I'm really happy that Thanks, I had a chance Adam. to uh, spend Thanks, time Adam. with you guys. We appreciate it. Yeah. To you soon. Okay. Take care. Take care. Thanks for joining us for this episode. We hope you learned something new. Tune in next week when we speak to another lender in the industry. Until then, take care. This was Bips, your peek into the lender landscape. As Jay-Z says, you don't have to go home, but you got to get the hell out of here. Kim, everyone's already home. Oh.